kids there. So I went there with an ulterior motive as a kid because, you know, hormones and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. But I never really got into watching the sport. Did you have brothers and sisters and stuff? I have one brother, five sisters. Wow, big family, yeah. huh? Yeah, big Italian, Irish family. <laughs> and how did you get into the beauty pageant thing? My mom entered me. We were uh, we were a welfare family. My dad was always working jobs, janitors, side jobs. Never really was a skilled laborer. So I had three sisters who were teenage moms, five siblings who were high school dropouts. And I just, I love school, I love reading. And I said, I gotta figure something out. My mom entered me in the pageant without telling me because of the possibility of a scholarship. So I'm at home, I get the phone call in the kitchen, I pick it up and they are, oh, we're from the Miss Illinois, you know, USA pageant and you've been selected. And I'm like, thought it was a joke. I just graduated high school and I didn't know what I was gonna do and go to community well, college. Did she send a picture of you in? He sent a picture in a bio. She filled out everything without me knowing. Probably because if I didn't get selected, I'd never know. So that was it. So it wasn't, I wasn't a pageant girl. That wasn't my life. I was working. I was a waitress. I made hot dogs. I worked at a mini mart through high school. So did you know, did you know Leroy Brown on the south side of Chicago? <laughs> I did. I did. The south side of Chicago, <laughs> the baddest part of town. Right? <laughs> if you go there, you better just beware of a man named Leroy Brown. <laughs> so Walk well, can't so, sing, so he's jealous now. So what happened what, what happened with the, the beauty pageant? So I competed, uh, learned as I went, didn't know anything. I didn't even know how to walk a runway. I started wearing high heels just so that I could figure out how to walk. I mean, I didn't didn't have all that stuff. And I just modeled what other girls were doing. And my roommate at the at the hotel, she was the former Miss Teen Illinois. So she knew everything. Oh, how many pageants have you been in before? I'm like none, you know? So she's like, I'll show you. She took me in the hallway, showed me how to like walk the runway, do all that kind of stuff. And I ended up in the top 25 out of 200 something, wow. you know, girls. And, and that was it. But then it was like, okay, back to work. And then that's when I decided I was going to join the military to get an education. So you went into the Air Force? I did. I researched all the branches and I said, okay, I don't think I do well on a naval ship. I don't really want to be in the front lines as a Marine. It's so hardcore. And then finally, when I visited the recruiter for Army and Air Force, uh, Air Force guys, like we got the best food. We got the best housing facilities. You'll want to go to the Air Force. So I took the exam and then... But you did good you, as a, you were a pilot, though, right? No, I was a uh, I was a ground pilot. Oh, so you yeah, were uh, this I was a heavy equipment operator, so oh. I drove tractor trailers and buses and wreckers and tow trucks. But you did good though because you won Airman of the Year. What that that was like another yeah. beauty pageant, right? No, that was an Air Force <laughs> award. <laughs> You didn't you win it twice? She won two. She won two beauty pageants when I she was like hell. I look like hell in the airport. Air. She also won a good conduct medal, so she was good too. Yay! I never won a good conduct medal. How did you get on the police department? So that was interesting because after after I did my four years with the goal of education, I didn't know what I wanted to do as most people don't know, you know, what, what do I do next? I knew I didn't want to stay in the military. So when I got out, I started to go to college. I needed a job and I started working private security because private security offered me the time 
to go to school in the day and work security at night. So when I just took one class on a whim, one criminal justice class, and uh, uh, I, I just was like, this is kind of neat, this is interesting, and then criminal profiling, and then I'm like, one more serial killers, and I'm like, wow, this is interesting. Then I'm reading about Gacy and Dahmer, because that's like in the Chicago and Indiana area, and that was going on you know, when I was growing up. So when I started reading that, I'm like, well, I think I'm gonna change my degree. I'll get my associates in criminal justice. And I did a ride along with the Chicago Police Department at the time. And I was with the tactical unit. We went out and during that night, I'm in the back seat, they responded to drive-by shooting. They made sure I was safe in the car. They got it roped off, they did their thing, but then they let me out of the car to see what was going on. And I got to see, cause he was, a, it was a DOA. It was a gangbanger who was shot in the head, laying in the street. and the way these police well, officers- I didn't even learn the lingo, man. It was a gangbanger shot in the head. <laughs> it's true. It's I'm true. I mean, so they, the, the whole thing was, I had so much respect for these tactical guys and I loved the way they handled the scene. And I thought that, gosh, you know, the adrenaline of it all, that was a, a defining moment that I said, not just get a, you know, pursue an associates, let me go ahead and, and get hired. And then when I did finally make that decision, I ended up doing an internship at the police department for my degree and then became a 911 dispatcher because um, I had to wait for the police exam. It was every two years. So I said, let me get my foot in the door, figure out the lingo, <laughs> the call signs and all of that. And it was great. It was a good segue into that. You know, in, in New York City, it's different. They like everywhere else, they call it SWAT. In New York City, they call it emergency service. They and there's do. like a little limerick that's uh, that we have to learn, and it says, "When the public needs help, they call the police. When the police need help, they call ESU." I love it. I love it. That sounds like a show right there. <laughs> it is a show. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine was officially called SRT, so you know we had a special special response team. Right. Just for, for public knowledge, nobody's really going to understand. Well, what the test that you took, um, that was, how do you guys do it over in Chicago? You take, a, uh, like, so you, you worked in the suburb. Was that a different department you had to take a test for? Yeah, so I, uh, I took a test with that particular department because I became a 911 dispatcher there. And so oh. then I waited and took the exam. And then while I was a 911 dispatcher, I was a year and a half into the job waiting for the police test to start. Uh -huh. And then I went to the, you know, the academy, did the physical agility and did the testing, and then I got hired. Hey, Once let me ask you a question. Um, so while you're busy doing all these things and trying to become successful, what are your other brother and sisters doing, the ones that dropped out of high school? <laughs> uh, brother became a grave digger. Oh, wow. Three did, sisters did that pay well? Three? No. That's a union what? job. That's all right. What is it? I mean, is it, is it like 30 bucks an hour? No. No? No. And it's seasonal, too, because they can't get into the ground in the winter, you know? No, that, yeah, that makes sense, especially up north. Yeah. Yeah. Three yeah. sisters came up. They were, uh, they were waitresses. And uh, another one of my sisters, uh, the oldest sister, who was my role model, she was like a second mom to me. She actually raised her children and then decided to become a crossing guard, then went into um, traffic. Uh, in for There's a special unit outside of the police that does all the traffic for the city. Um, so special services, I forget the name of it right now, it'll come to me. But now she's actually the superintendent for um, traffic for the city of Chicago. So she worked her way up from boom, boom, boom. 
All right. I was just being a dick with that question. <laughs> I have a lot of nieces and nephews. I was just busting your chops anyway, because here you are, like, going all these different places and doing all these things. What about your brothers? Well, they dropped out of high school, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. They had well, different uh, groups, but everybody's healthy and good, so. So you're done with the military at this point? I lost track. Yeah, I did mil military. You were in the military. You went to, uh, didn't you go to Desert Storm? I did. I was in during Desert Storm and then went overseas in Operation Desert Cleanup. And I was in Saudi Arabia for 90 days in the summer. And uh, after, actually right before I became a police officer, uh, they blew up the base that I was on at that time. So somebody went there with a huge tractor trailer, uh, loaded it with bombs, detonated and killed a whole bunch of U.S. military and some allied forces. Wow. So, this was 1990, 1991? 1990, 1990. 1990. Wow. Yeah. I oh, didn't think you were that old. We're all that old. <laughs> <laughs> to do a lot of things, you have to be around on this earth pretty long, right? Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trip. calling you out on age or me either. I, mean, I got this color hair. I didn't get it from uh, and I color mine, so. We can't, we can't do our hair, over, we haven't, we can't get haircuts, so usually he dyes his hair blonde too. Yeah, yeah. But that's, the grays came out now. I'm coming up on a new uh, clandestine haircut soon, unless the barber. Yeah, with the program, you two. I colored mine myself for 20 something years. Right well, you're, yeah, you're good at it though, I couldn't tell at all. I mean, that's yeah. perfect. I was doing a little bit of mine, but I just got gray hair on the side here, so I just let it go. You know, right. like, like that song, Werewolves of London, I saw a werewolf with a pina colada at Trader Vicks. His hair was perfect. Oh. <laughs> so, so let's get back to this. So you're, you're in Chicago. Now you're in working in a suburb in Chicago. How do you get on the SWAT team? So when I was a 911 dispatcher, the commander of the SWAT team, they would always go out to do their training and field exercises. And a lot of times they would need role players. So he asked me one day, you want to help out with the team? He's like, yeah, you had military experience, whatever. I said, sure. So I actually got out there and be a role player, damsel in distress, the victim, hostage, you know, domestic violence. So here I am acting the part, you know, as they're in all these different buildings and having no shoot, no shoot scenarios. So I was getting to know the team while I was a 911 dispatcher. So then when a position opened up after two years on the job, I was still a rookie. I saw, you know, they did a post in the department and I'm like, man, I would love this opportunity. And just prior to that, I became a firearms instructor and I was a uh, master marksman. So I said, I want to do that. Wow. I ended up not being a sniper on the team, but I was on entry team. However, um, so you, you were the person that hit the door first. Yes. Your obvious girth and, and strength. Yeah. Number four, number four, you know, in our, in our six. So yeah. Boom, boom, you had boom. the ram? You hit, the, you hit it with the ram? In training, I did. I never okay. needed to. You got a really, you know, a stout fire plug of a guy that was, uh, you know, there. You, you got to be strong to be the guy with the ram. That's for sure, right? <laughs> what are you going to shoot? I mean, obviously, your service revolver, but you were in the military, too. So yeah. uh, when you were in the military, too, did you also, were you also a M16, M16 training. So I never even had handgun training until I became a police officer. But you were good with the M16 too? I was decent with the M16, uh, not good. I didn't know I was, here's what happened. So while I was in the academy, I was shooting like you know, popcorn. My rounds were all over the place, it was awful. So uh -huh. I went to the department and I said, hey, it's my you know, first time. 
with a handgun, is there any way that I could get some remedial stuff so that I can get up to par? And sure enough, they're like, yeah, we've got guys out here. You're one of our recruits. We'd like you to be able to shoot good. So, uh -huh. so they did, they, they took me out and I had some remedial training during the academy extra to kind of help me along. So that helped. So then when it's finally said and done, um, you know, then all the department trainings, et cetera. And then I had my own, my own gun, you know, I had a Colt Cobra 38 and I just, I ended up loving it. I loved it. So. Are you still packing heat these days? <laughs> you don't want the audience to know. It'll be a surprise. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It, exactly, uh, Bill. <laughs> the NYPD, um, you got to go, what is it, twice a year, Bill? Yeah. And if, yeah. if, you, if you play your cards right, you can miss one of them. <laughs> so um, you get people shooting, man. Oh, you got to see, you know, so you know what I'm talking about, groupings? It's, we're talking about all over the place. Yeah. And Bill, yeah. you do that thing. And, and how about this? When somebody has a, a really good grouping, yeah. and they're right next to you and you're annoyed by them. So what do you do? You just let one go on their- You kill, their, what, you kill their target. <laughs> yeah, you let, let one go on their When I went to the range and I saw a guy with a hole in the middle of his target, uh, I was ready to call a doctor, like a psychiatrist. Uh -huh. <laughs> Why has this guy got a grouping? Yeah, exactly. you know, 20 days out of the month. You know? Oh man! <laughs> you know who just signed on? We have a famous ESU detective. His name was Rick Martinez. Uh -huh. He shot it out with Larry Davis years ago and saved the lives of two ESU officers. And wow. for that, was awarded the Medal of Valor. I just wanted to shout out to Rick Martinez. Very up, nice. Rick? Much respect. Hey, Rick. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> so um, you're in the SWAT team now, right? Yes. And uh, how's that working out? Everybody accepts uh, you. You're one. You're one of the. You're one of the guys. Yeah. Here's the the good news. Um, because I had known the guys in training when I was a role player and a dispatcher. You know. You know. You start to learn the guys and on the street and everything. And then as a police officer, you know, they're backing me up on calls and that that sort. They knew I had military training, and there were probably you know there's always going to be a couple of sour eggs in there. So there were a couple, you know, the guy that was miffed that I got it instead of him, you know, the position. So, um, how big is this department that we're talking about? What's that? How big is this department that we're talking about? This, uh, uh, just under 200. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, I felt great. I mean, I, I had camaraderie and I tell people all the time, the thing that I think kept me, kept me afloat and in good graces with the guys is a sense of humor because they were funny. I thought they were funny. I grew up with a father who loved watching Benny Hill and MASH. And I mean, I would watch all these programs with him and I just, Three Stooges, and I had that sense of humor. It just, you know, made me laugh. So I would give it right back to him. If you're a cop without a sense of humor, you'll definitely not survive. You're miserable. You're, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's a, it's, it's a defense mechanism a lot of times. You know, we right. see the worst of the worst. And, you know, even before we, we heard, uh, you know, let, you know, PTSD, the acronym, you know, even before we ever heard that, cops figured out that in order to break up what we're actually seeing right now, you know, humor could, you know, be a, a defense mechanism. Subconsciously, we knew that. And it, it's something that's ingrained in us. Right. The other thing is alcohol can be a defense. <laughs> yeah, 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 well, yeah, you know... <laughs> They go, they, the two of them go hand in hand, you know? 
the funniest thing I learned on midnight shift is uh, the cops that would go out after shift at 730 in the morning to a close to a closed bar, you know, and go and play pool and hang out. And it was just like it was a crazy. You worked a midnight shift. I worked a midnight shift for four and a half years. Mm -hmm. How did you That's a rough shift? Man. I always wonder about people that did that. Like, uh, I it mean, was crazy. it was. Yeah. How, how did you even adjust? I could never Black do that. Out. Blackout. And here's the crazy thing, too, because I worked a six on three off rotation and on midnights, then I would throw myself into a normal life the three days off. So yeah, yeah, that's I'm, back, I'm like, you know, you're, you're tired. You're trying weird. to. So I did Love that for four and a half years. It was not. Nice. You did that when you were young because that's a that's, yeah. young people can get away with that. Right. At my age right now, I can. I, I that's, yeah, that's the, that's like, the shit out of you. That really kills your body, that, that shift, you know? Well, I, I used to say, forget which was the first tour coming back. I always would miss the first tour. Oh, I thought it was the next day. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I don't know how cops do the rotation where they're doing each shift every month. They used to do the nine squad chart. Yeah, that was rough. That was rough also. You know? Wow. And how about narcotics? Is, uh, you worked in narcotics too? Yeah, so I, was, I became a narcotics detective. That's when I left midnight shift and then got promoted to investigator and that was uh me and my male partner i give him a shout out i call him bosley we were like charlie's angels and bosley <laughs> joke were you, you were you doing b and b <laughs> we're doing b and b yeah what are you doing buy and bust in narcotics some yeah. so, some of some of the i mean the undercovers mostly was that um we we set up a couple of reverses as well you know, um, and then we did the search warrant. So that was great because not only was I part and privy to, you know, working with informants and doing the undercovers, then I was part of the briefing with the SWAT team for us to do the entry and go into the houses and, you know, having an idea of the complete layout of what we're going into, you know, whether yeah. it be a business or, or a house and where things were hidden and that sort of thing. This suburb that you worked in, though, that wasn't the suburb that you grew up in, was it? No, I grew up in the city. I grew up in Chicago. Okay, okay. So you were good in the suburb. Like nobody noticed. Nobody could ID right. you, right? Nobody knew Correct. you. Correct. But I also did undercovers in the city too, because some of my cases went that way. Because I did some. Yeah, great but the city's cases. big. You know, you could you could. It's mix big. Up. It's really big. And I had wigs and I had costumes and. Oh, I'd sell drugs to you any minute. I, I, if I had drugs right now, I'd offer. Not only would I, I wouldn't even. Say, I'd offer them to you for free. <laughs> So would you like to do some? I, like to do I some can't drugs? Take you to court then. You have to have the exchange of money for drugs. Then it's like no, no. I'm not. I would never charge you. <laughs> so, um, how, how many years did you did uh, do, do with? I the, did undercover uh, for just just short of two years. Yeah, just short of two years. I was on SWAT for. Um, uh, how many years did you do total on the on uh, on the police department? Seven. Seven. So I had overlapping. So I was on SWAT while I was on midnights. So while I was on patrol, so we were on call out basis. It wasn't full-time SWAT. And then while I was a detective, I was also still on SWAT. So I had a full five years on SWAT, two years detective, four and a half on the street. And then you, you, you resigned from the department after that? Then I left. Yeah. Then I left the department. Where'd you go? Here, how do you do this? Love. Love took me away. Fell in love with a guy who was a Canadian. So I ended up moving to Canada. I moved to Montreal. Oh, wow. Really? I know. Was he a hockey player? No, he played hockey, but he was an NHL, <laughs> funny enough. 
<laughs> but you couldn't bring your guns there, right? No, I had to sell. I ended up selling. Yeah. Oh, wow. Does he mm -hmm. say out? Let's get out. We had an AR-15 that I won at a SWAT conference that I ended up selling to a chief of another department. And I did end up selling. So you, you, you went to you, uh, chase love to Canada. What part of Canada? Montreal. And how'd you like that? I liked it. I mean, it was something different. Uh, it was very French in Montreal. I also became a stepmom, instant stepmom to three kids. Wow. So that was a little wild. That was harder than being a cop. I'll tell you, you French or something. <laughs> I, I don't know you too, too much about you, Lisa, but uh, one thing I know about you, when you go in, you go all in. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, I want to get married, but I want three kids right away. I'm going to marry a Canadian, too, and leave the U.S. <laughs> I watch the TV show. I'm going in the military. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened? So now you're in Montreal. I mean, you're probably in a nice house. I'm in a beautiful house in Montreal. Three kids, a mother-in-law. I'm learning to be domestic, learning how to raise kids, bedtime stories, cooking. Are you making you know? any collars over there? Are you making any arrests? No, I'm getting tickets from the uh, from the Canadian police for speeding. <laughs> like this is bad. This is. They don't give you courtesy, huh? I had no to learn courtesy. how to. I had to learn how to drive over again. I had to get oh, rid of the man. heavy foot. That must have been weird. What, that must have been weird. Like giving up your whole uh, everything yeah. that you worked hard over here for, and then going to Canada. I know. Things we do for love, right? I know we do. I mean, shit, I wouldn't do, I don't think, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking back, it's whatever I wanted to do, the acting, the comedy. Yeah. I'm going to do it no matter what. Like, uh, I was a police officer. I did that job because I had to have a, a job from, you know, to, a respectable job. But I pursued my thing. There was nothing that was going to make me quit that. Nice. There was nobody that would have taken me to Canada, you know, I, I'm yeah. at that point in my Austin life. Austin Crawford, I mean, no, uh, I don't know. What happened? Pam Anderson, couldn't have taken you to Pam Anderson is Canadian. <laughs> uh, no, I, it's I, for me, it's just something I had to do, but I, I figured out what I wanted to do, you know? So you're in Canada right now and what happens now? Yeah, so I'm in Canada and then I decide, I grab all my police reports and a lot of the pictures from a lot of the jobs that I did. And uh, I decided to write Undercover Angel. So I said, let me let me write about those experiences, what it was like being on police and military and chapter after chapter, hand it to my husband. And he's like, you did that? You know, so it was funny, you know, because he didn't really know that part of my life. I met him at a seminar in Florida. Yeah. Guys don't really care. When you look the way you do, guys don't really care what you did. <laughs> whatever you want to marry me <laughs> let's get married <laughs> you probably wasn't yeah let's move to canada i was an undercover detective yeah 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 really let's go <laughs> oh my gosh so then what happened yeah so then uh i did that like we traveled quite a bit because both of us were into personal growth i was following tony robbins reading the books figuring out how to you know be better in my life and um, you know, be better for others. I became a coach, did the life coach thing for a little while. Then I wrote my book. You did Tony you study with Tony Robbins? What's that? Did you study with him? Or yeah, I studied. I tra actually traveled the world with him and been to his home in Fiji and became, you know, on his leadership team and helped people. How long did, how long did you study with him? <laughs> Not for yeah. no, I'm <laughs> I would have put you on my leadership team too. <laughs> I'm Tony Robbins. You're traveling with me. <laughs> <laughs> and his wife. <laughs> and his yeah, I know. wife yeah, I know. 
how, how long did you study with him? When I was a when I was a cop toward the end of my career, I read his book Awaken the Giant Within, and I really liked it. So then I found out he was going to be at an event. I went to the event. I walked on fire. I'm like this is amazing. Um, I love all this stuff. Anything that's like adventurous. So I started in ninety. Uh, no, I'm sorry, two thousand and one. And I was actually during 9-11, I was at a Tony Robbins seminar in Hawaii when 9-11 happened. Wow. And uh, yeah, and then soon after that, I mean, 2003 is when I left law enforcement and moved to Canada and got married and wrote my book. And then that changed everything. You know, you talk about going in different careers. Once I did my book and then I was on book tour, then I started getting getting booked on uh, Nancy Grace and shows. What was the book again? Undercover Angel. Okay, uh, Undercover Angel. And that was the story of your police career? That was my, basically my memoir. So it was my military, police, and then personal life. No holds barred. You had a, uh, you mentioned in, in your book that you had an abusive husband, your first marriage, right? Yeah, that, yeah. He, he was an alcoholic. Was he a cop? No, he was an alcoholic. He was a construction worker. And he followed me when I was in the mil military. He came out and lived right outside of Boston. I was in uh, uh, Bedford. Hanscom mm -hmm. Air Force Base, lived in Woburn. No, I don't know if you're familiar with those areas, but he followed me out there. Then we got married and then I found out the drinking. Drinking was normal at that age. You know, I'm 19, he's early 20s. Right. So I didn't think anything about it. It's alcoholism until I saw him flare up for little things, punching walls, wanting to fight people at the bar. You yeah. know, so I saw that, oh gosh, you know. Like, the way, like the way I reacted when you said <laughs> <laughs> You said you could teach me something. Maybe that's a drinking problem. I don't know. Let me go back to this memoir for a second. Um, talk about the memoir. Yeah. You know, I, listen. I don't. I like to ask the hard hitting questions. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. So I'll just get it right out of the way. Uh, what's the difference between a memoir and a book? Two things: nonfiction and fiction. So nonfiction okay, is real. Fiction's not. You joking? I'm busting your chops. Oh, people sometimes don't know what's nonfiction. Like, I like I nonfiction. <laughs> I'm just busting your chops. Yes. How'd you get on TV? How'd you start doing the TV? There was the book. So I did when I was on my book tour. I started, uh, you know, doing book signings and stuff, and then I hired somebody to get me booked on radio shows and programs like this. And uh -huh. I remember still call the cops with John Legato. That was one of my first shows. You know, and he was the FBI guy that was undercover as well when uh, Joe Pistone from Donnie Brasco. You yeah, know, it's one of my favorite that. movies. Oh, yeah. So uh, Donnie Brasco actually endorsed my book. And wow. He's a friend of mine now, but uh, that was a cool experience. So just it, it, one thing led to another. You do the book tour, you start to be seen in the news. And next thing you know, you get a phone call. They flew me to New York. Um, to say, oh, we want you to be on the show, the big idea with Donnie Deutsch. I went and did that show. And then after that, it just was like, boom. Then the calls started coming in. Nancy no, Lisa, Lisa, can I interrupt you for one second? Sure. Mark and I have 74 episodes of this. No one's fucking calling us to be on the <laughs> <laughs> Is it because we don't look like you? Is that it? <laughs> why? Why aren't we getting calls? I'm telling you, you put a wig on, you are in. <laughs> no one's you, calling right? us, right, Mark? Right now, calls from Donnie Deutsch <laughs> from the Today Show. Any of that shit? Me neither. <laughs> no, listen, you guys. I'm gonna tell you what the book, again, Undercover Angel, 
I the reason that it became so hot is because the editor had the wherewithal to say you need a subtitle. And the subtitle was the thing that hooked all the media from Beauty Queen to SWAT team. So people saw that and it's like, oh, oh that's interesting. They wouldn't have cared about oh undercover or whatever. It was like, oh, Beauty Queen to SWAT you know, rhymes and they're like, how did how did that happen? So hey, well, how how'd you get the I dream of genie uh thing back there? Why don't I met her? I met her. She was at the I little... love that thing. Can you is, how many wishes do you get from that thing? <laughs> Follow her on Facebook, Farida. She's on Instagram too. She's so amazing. Oh my god! I mean, Barbara Eden's got to be in her eighties, right? She is. Yeah. Yeah. She's in. She's like eighty-six. She still looks good, or no? Love her. Does she still look good? She looks like an eighty-six-year-old former hottie. She looks amazing. My mother's. You know what's funny that you say that? My mother was. I grew up with a hot mom. Like my mom is like you. She's beautiful, blonde hair, green eyes. She's from Czechoslovakia, and um, you know when I was growing up, it was a, it was, it was a big pain in the ass having a hot mom. Yeah. Because <laughs> with all my friends, and as we got older, you know, uh, you know, people were always like looking at my mom, and it bothered me. Yeah. And then now, I see my friends that I grew up with, and they're like, "Yo, how's your mom?" And I'm like. She's doing great, man. Thanks for asking. And like, how she look? And I'm like, yo, she's eight years old, bro. <laughs> how do you think she looks? She looks like so, an eighty year old. <laughs> so, so your friends would come over to see your mother and not you, right? Yeah. Send a picture of Barbara Eden when they say, "What does she look like?" Now? They're like, <laughs> they're always like, "Yeah, but she used to look good." I'm like, "Yeah, I know, but she's eighty now. <laughs> she's eighty. Stop yeah. asking about her." Oh. I got a big, a big, hearty Sicilian mama. <laughs> she, we look nothing alike. People are like, what? You know, they don't see the Italian in me at all. I'm half Italian. Italian. What's the other uh, side? My dad, my dad is uh, Irish, English, Scottish. Yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah, that, I got, that, that, name, Lock, that name Lockwood is like English. Yeah, English. Yeah. So um, let's let's talk about what's going on now. Since you're an expert. You know, uh, I'm not an expert. Come on. Well, listen, is, nobody's an, an expert. Opinion. Right now. I one opinion. <laughs> nobody's an expert right now because we don't yeah. know what the hell's going on. But right, Bill and I were talking about uh, before we started the episode tonight about the town in uh, Seattle that seems to, uh, ironically, they 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 took the police force out of that precinct. Yes, we took over the town. And because they didn't want any police, and then they put up their own security. How ironic is that? Like the first thing that you do is you put up your own security. Hello, hello. <laughs> and they're checking your ID before you get in. Oh, there you go. Wow. What a police state that is. Oh my god. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I don't think we should get involved in that at all. I would let it go. I just let it. Let's see what happens. Maybe they'll be fine. Use them as a, use them as a test model of well, what are we gonna do? Invade Seattle, right? So they can you know the cops can have their precinct back. We're supposed to work for them. If you don't want us there, we'll work over here. Right. right. I mean that's the reality of it. You know what I'm saying? We work for the 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 citizens, and if they can survive in there and they want to live in there, yeah. But it's the citizens aren't the ones that want that. These are no. taking over taking over the precinct, taking over the town. And and the, the the government doesn't have the wherewithal to do anything about it because they're they're 
the pieces of shit. Really. So if they decided to sign a, p- a petition, all those people there, you think they're scared to do something like that? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're putting the bull on the store owners too. They're making them pay. It's almost like the mob is taking over the town. All right. So then, uh, what they, you got to have evidence of that though, because you don't want another. Uh... No, no. The federal government shouldn't do anything. Let Seattle take care of it. Yeah, I yeah. agree with you there. It's their, it's their city. That's my, that they, was my they point. They don't want to take care of it. Every democratic city wants to let thugs take over. That's, that's no? my point. I don't think it's a federal thing. Let them take care of it. Right, let them take care of it at the state level. You know, I'm with you. You know, what do you think about? They talk about defunding police. How? What an idea that is. Asinine. Who came up with this idea? Just, just asinine. Yeah. yeah I mean, gotta, let me tell you something. First of all, it's you know defunding. The police that's uh, a term that came up during this thing but the reality is w- the the future is going to be privatizing police that's what we're going towards especially i don't know about any other state everything i talk about is about new york but we're already creating a, for the, our first zone which is the congestion pricing zone we're going to create a commercial zone there's going to be zones and i'm going to tell you something right now what happened during these uh, the riots and the looting in New York City scares the shit out of the average person there, the average millionaire. The average millionaire. They don't want to be living, you know, and then like here, glasses breaking and somebody over, because they're thinking somebody's going to overtake the doorman. Right. Get up to their apartment. The, everything is going towards privatizing police. Look at, we downsized uh, corrections already. This is what I'm, I'm, yeah, you bring up a good point because look at what happened when they privatized, you know, the jails and the penitentiaries and the corrections and all of that. What happened is they felt that now legislation and Congress was trying to have more sanctions for the bad guys so they could fill them up because it was a private industry. Right, it was you a profit-making thing. going to go crazy. You yeah. privatize that, it's going to go crazy. They're going to yeah. want more than any other cop had ever wanted. As well, Lisa, it's the same thing. It's almost the same thing as when you work in the public sector as an employee, you have a lot of rights. When you work in the private sector, they'll chop your head off without even telling you. Right. You have no rights. They'll do whatever they want in the private sector. And they're not held as to as high a standard as the public sector. The private sector, yeah, you know. To me, I think if you look, if you look all around the country, well, in the blue states, what they're looking to do is rid themselves of uh, the burden of municipalities. It's costly to their budget. If you look at California, for example, they don't do anything really anymore for the homeless. They right. just don't bother them. They let them be yeah, home. do whatever they want. And they're all, you know, they, they, they're all over the place. Right. Um, if you look at New York, how we, how we, the, the bail reform, the bail reform basically means you know, that time that, you know, waiting for your trial or for you to plead, you're going to be out in the street. So this way we saved the spot at Rikers Island, which was our jail, where you'd stay if right. you couldn't make bail until your trial. So we're downsizing the corrections department. The next thing we got to do is downsize the police department. How do we do that? We do that basically, you know, people are going to, they're going to hire their own security. Uh, they're going to, you know, we're going to have uh, more Gated communities, semi-gated communities. New York City is going to be broken up into zones. Right. It's going to be like a vigilante system. That's what it's going to be like. Well, it's going to be a lot more policing, though. There's going to be a lot more security out there. We're talking about 
breaking up into zones from 96th Street to 42nd Street, east and west. They're going to pay $25 a month, and it's going to go into a thing to hire their own private security. And then and the problem the is, somebody, who's not going to be protected? The, the inner city, the poor. Yeah, exactly. Well, they'll be protected. They'll still, have, they'll still have the local NYPD. Yeah. But no, since, since this has been going on, last weekend in Chicago, they had 80-something shootings and 19 murders in over the weekend. Right. New York City, the homicide rate has gone up over 100%, and the other crimes have also gone up over 100% because they can't concentrate on crimes when they're policing a riot. Exactly. Know? So it, it's, it's unbelievable. And then you get idiots saying, let's defund the police. And actual politicians that work for New York City are saying this. Mm. I don't know where they get these people from, where they were the last 30 years when crime dropped to the lowest level it's ever been in New York City. I don't know where they were living, you know? They just ignored right. it, I guess. I was going through this over my head a lot, and there's this guy on uh, Twitter I follow. His name is Hotep Jesus. Okay. It's, it's, uh, you can't see it. It's, it's yeah, called, he said, defund police means privatized police. Now, guess who ain't got the money to pay for protection and who does? Right. And this was, you know, I was already, I had this all worked out in my head before. I just, I just see that's the future. You know, I don't think there's going to be any more crime than there is now. I think there'll be twice or three times more um, patrol out there with private security. I think you're going to, you're going to have to, you know, Get, be live in a certain area or work in a certain go to school in a certain area have some business in that area in that zone for you to get in there mm -hmm. and that everybody's going to have their own you're going to pay out of pocket whoever well, can afford you know, it. a guy a detective that i used to work with years ago i worked with him uh, when he was a police officer sam defidley he just told me he was working in the hamptons security because they're concerned about the riots so there wow. you go that's what you're talking about the hamptons is like you know, 70, 80 miles from New York City, 90 miles. Well, yeah. well, look at um, look at Nassau and Suffolk County, for example. That's Long Island over here, right? We have a Nassau, uh, Suffolk, uh, Nassau County Police Department. We got a Suffolk uh, County. But then inside those two counties, we also have Garden City Police Department, many other smaller police departments. They hire their own security. They hire their own police because they sure. can afford to. Right. They pay an extra tax on top of the tax that they're paying to um, the, the, municipalities. the county that they live in. Right. And that's the same exact thing that's going to happen in New York. People who have the money are going to pay for extra security and they're going to get it. And, you know, when somebody gets arrested, they're going to have to call the NYPD or bring them to the NYPD. Yes. But I have a feeling like they're going to downsize now, my biggest concern right now, obviously, is, is morale. So Chicago, watching their city, I've got great friends on the Chicago Police Department, on the SWAT teams, and they are just like, you're tearing up my city. They have such pride, you know, in their city and watching the looting and seeing that, that they can't arrest and their hands are tied because they're handling, you know, the riots and everything else and leave the looters alone and leave this alone and coming down from the mayor and you know, such disrespect to police. No, Lisa, so, so, does, so does the NYPD. Yeah. We interview some of the greatest people that ever worked for the NYPD on this show. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we had Chief Lewis Animal, who was a legend, not just in New York City, but throughout the world as an expert on disorder control. 
Uh -huh. He's cringing when he sees what's going on. But it, their hands are tied by the mayor. They're so tied. they can't do anything, you know. And the, the, the chiefs at the top, they're not free to, to, you know, set in motion the techniques that Louis Animone invented through studying all over the world disorder control. Right. So, why do not why do these cities not want resolution? What do they have well, to gain? I'm telling you, that's the reason why. Because they want people to get scared. Yeah. They want people to uh, hire More their own security, privatize security, and then this way they can unrid themselves. When you get rid of the municipalities or the, the bulk of it, you get rid of lawsuits, privatized companies, they're only um, you know, they're covered for a certain amount. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you right. can and like they're gonna fight you the whole way. Look at Disney. Disney has its own police department. They got jails down there. You know what I'm saying? They fight you on every case. You're never gonna they're never gonna settle. So right. if you get involved in a, in a, an incident, just think George Zimmerman. <laughs> That's what I'm telling you. That's the future right there. That private uh, place that he lived in Florida, he was one of those people. Yeah. So you you know, if you think that you're going to get uh you're going to live in an environment where there's no you're going to be able to roam around, it's actually going to be more closed off than it is now. Right. It's going to be certain parts of New York. You're not going to be able to go down because you don't really have a business there. You know, wh why are you here? Well, wow. it'll, be like, it'll be like the no-go the uh, no -go zones in some of these cities like they have in London and in France. Where well, you know what? Areas you can't go into. Think about this. In New York City, they're, they're creating that uh, congestion pricing from 61st to the water. $11 or something like that, $9 to get past a certain point. So now you're knocking off a whole bunch of people who can't afford to drive their private cars into the city. Right. Now, what's business hours in New York? It's a 24-hour city. Right. At 9 o'clock. And after 9 o'clock, guess what? The train don't stop. It goes from 96th Street to 42nd Street. That area is a residential area. The only way you can get off at a, at a stop there is you're going to have to slide your metro card not to get in the train but to get out oh wow that's what they're going to create yeah it's going to way to limit the people that shouldn't be in a certain area and that's just the way it's going to be especially we're already used to curfews now taking away more freedoms just taking them away and taking yeah. them away so, so everybody's secure because they're going to remember what happened well you get people that say uh, oh, no prisons, no jails. If there's no prisons and no jails, then the whole world is a prison or a jail. You're right. You're not protecting the populace from, right. you know, there is a bad element. There's a criminal element. People don't realize that. I love these young millennials like, oh, close the jails. They weren't in New York City 30 years ago when they, I can guarantee they'd have a gun stuck to their head at least once a year, taking the 20 bucks they just made doing comedy, you know? So... <laughs> Let me you know, ask they, you guys this. I got a, it's a serious, kind of a serious question, but I mean, obviously both you guys in law enforcement, all the years, all your experiences, you've had an opportunity, I'm sure, to work with a guy that was not right in his head. I can attest to that, okay? And when they were in violation, the way the unions protected them, I took issue with, because there were calls that I didn't want this Yahoo coming up and showing up and screwing up my call with the extra force and everything else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in this situation with this Chavin guy, 
just learning that he had so many things happen and there was no discipline along the way. Like, how does that get through the cracks? That's what kills me. Yeah, well, you know, that guy was was a nightmare, a boss's yeah. nightmare or another cop's yeah. nightmare. And, you know, I, I, I was a boss for 22 years. And if I had someone that was heavy handed, first thing I would do is pull them aside and say, dude, what are you, what are you doing? You know? Right. And then if that didn't work, I would go to the commanding officer and say, this guy's got a problem. You know? Yeah. How many chances? Yeah, you can't have that. You can't have that happen. You know? Who was overseeing them and how many chances and why so many chances? So, right. I mean, that's got to be looked at for sure. No, absolutely. Look, everyone agrees that there has to be some uh, check and balance. Checks and balance. And what, do you do what do you do with that kid that was uh, four days on the job? That was one of them. Like, ah, worst. Don't yeah, that was his training sergeant. Yeah. Yeah. This is what we do. You better Check watch. You better, you better, you know, you're, you're learning. It's, it's I mean, awful. I, I mean, it's I know we're going to go through this whole charade, but at the end of the day, you're going to charge that guy for being involved in something with four days on the job. Right. Well, we're going to go through the charade. It's a whole, they, they just want, they just want. I'm just saying yeah. we got to go through the charade, but yeah. he had four days on the job. Right. And that was his train. There's no way that that guy can go to prison. Well, just go any other fucking job in your whole life. Anything. You tell me one thing, you did it for four days and you did something, unless you actually shot the person. Right. Come on, man. Right. He couldn't, he would have been so intimidated by that guy telling him what to do and everything. Four days on the job, man. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Who are we kidding? I'll go through the charade with you, but, you know, at some point you got to say, listen. And there is, and people have to realize that intimidating factor. When I was new and I had sergeants who, you know, maybe were a little heavy handed or whatever, I'm learning, okay, this is how you grapple with people, et cetera, you know, coming a little too hard on an ass, striking an area you shouldn't strike, you're watching, your heart's beating, you don't know what to do. Are you thinking in your mind, oh, I better go report my sergeant for doing that? No, you're scared to death. Right. Yeah, because you don't know. You're still learning. You don't know if that's right or wrong. Yeah, I mean, he's on the job. Come well, on. you know, it is in a deadly physical force situation, they can't make rules of how you fight. You're fighting to the death. And exactly. Trying to kill you, they can't tell you. you no. Can't do this, you can't do that. But in a regular situation, yeah. once the cuffs go on, it's over. There is no more force. Right. Once the cuffs go on. You know? Right. These exactly. situations. Look, everyone spoke out against. The, what happened in Indianapolis, right? Everybody. I mean, it was horrendous. But, you know, something, the reaction to it is way out of kilter. Uh, it, it seems like it, this thing was planned for, you know. It feels like that. I'm with you. I, my, my gut and heart of hearts feels as if this was, was planned somehow, some way, waiting for an opportunity to revolt well, it's and, organized. It's so yeah. organized. And we knew that when we later we found out with Antifa and everything else, you yeah. know, they came forward and solicited and used their money and you got them on tape with the money. Hey, go and do this. Here's the cans. Here's the bricks. Right. Let's get out here and, and wreak I mean, havoc. If you're, if you're waiting for an incident to um, to pop off, we're talking about a country, you know, 50 states. You don't have to wait too long. Something's going to happen. Yeah. Then you get infiltrated by uh, videos from other countries. Nobody knows what they're looking at. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh, it's just you're just watching. How can how can the average person tell which police department? So it looks like there's people shooting and cops killing people every day. They're using old videos, new old videos. Footage. Well, that's been going on before this this whole revolt and riot. 
where we're watching networks show up with old video and saying, oh, this is what's happening right now. No, that's from a year ago and it's in another country. <laughs> right, exactly. The, the media is, is shameless, they're horrendous. You know, it, it's, you know, in New York State, we have Cuomo, who's the governor. His brother's a talking head on CNN. Oh, he's oh, yeah. an anchor. Excuse me, he's an anchor. He's an yeah, anchor that, that stirs up more shit than right yoga video. Yeah. Yeah, right. But I mean, he, he stirs up shit. I mean, is that his job as yeah. a news reporter? You know? No, they're like the National Enquirer. They're not news. They're not reporting no, news. No, they're not news. It's I mean, just... call him a journalist is, and not just him. Many other people call him a journalist is really using that word loosely. Yeah. yeah. It's entertainment. What's the matter, so Mark? You want me to get on my soapbox? <laughs> so what are you up to now, Lisa? So now I'm still doing my thing. I'm, uh, I'm with the Long Crime Network. Dan Abrams, the guy, Live PD just got canceled. I don't know if you know about yeah, that. How ridiculous is that, right? Yeah, what the hell is that? What's Are next? We, Law and Order is, uh, you know, yeah. Blue Bloods. Canceled 30 something year. Live PD canceled. Dan Abrams, you know, he's the guy that put it all together and was getting out there and doing a great job. And he's got a network called Law and Crime. So I, I comment really? on, uh, on trials and murder. They got a lot of people petitioning yeah. that uh, cancellation of. Uh, the, the PD live. So we'll see what happens. I, I always think like, uh, it's a, such a knee jerk reaction or kowtowing and like, yeah, what are we doing right now? Right? No, is, is that going to make a difference at all? The whole thing. Mark was on, uh, he was on the show, the FBI this year as an actor. Oh, we're, great, both, we're both veterans of that show, the perfect murder. Uh, okay. with the, a recreation. Mark was on it. I was on it a bunch of times. But nice. that show was canceled, and that show was doing really well. It was getting over a million per episode, but they still wow. got canceled. Yeah, but I they, thought once I was on, I would become a, an, an idol, like at least a matinee idol or something. But they, they didn't cancel it because of this. That, that, no, that no, was... no. That was way before that. Uh -huh. I was saying that was a reality show that was doing really well, and, and still got canceled. But they canceled this uh, this this cartoon that is for kids about, you know, it's like a, like a truck that's a cop or something. <laughs> it's so stupid. People are retarded. They really are. I want, and loosely, Batman, get rid of him because he worked with the cops too much. Superman, get rid of him too. The stupidity that gets involved. Oh my God. And scared everybody is. Hmm. Like, what are you so scared of? You know, and, you, and then they're ripping down statues of American icons. Right, the heads off them, dumping them in the rock. Wanting to rename military bases. You Let's know? reinvent the wheel too. Let's reinvent. Well, it's about the whole thing is about uh, um, creating an alternate history. You right. Know, I think I'm not sure. Like, um, you know, young people have to find their place in the society, and you know, this history it's embedded, and they don't want to follow it. So then, rather than learn about it. That takes, I'm, I'm consumed with politics right now. I don't want to learn about the history. Uh, let's just take it down. We'll put, we'll put up our own. Right, yeah. That's what it is. I mean, you know, e even if it was a, a, a shameful statue, it's a place you could take your kids and you say, look, you see this motherfucker right here? This is what he did. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Exactly. He, you know, it's you, you, you learned a lesson from it, you know? No, well, yeah, they, they say anyone ignorant by their past, they may need not expect to make their future great. 
I don't know if I said that exactly right, but that is a quote from a historian. Anyone ignorant of their past need not expect to make their future great. Because you, if you don't know history, you're destined to repeat it, right? Because we learn yeah, from this. Exactly. That's why, yeah, you got Holocaust deniers, you've got, you know, all these groups and organizations like, oh, it never happened. Oh, no, that many people. Our history in this country is horrible, you know. A lot of people could say and argue and it was founded on slavery. That's how we built it. Right. And, um, you know, these, these uh, African-Americans who went and fought in every single war were promised yeah. something. The country never came through. They did every, the country also went out of their way to make sure that uh, they destroyed everything they tried to build up on their own. Right. So in some way, we got to make that good. But at the same time, um, you know, the police right now are the ones that are, um, you know, are getting, the, the, the government has a way of deflect, deflecting their responsibility. We're called- Oh yeah, Mark, the whole, you're, you're absolutely right. The whole, every one of these democratic cities is a shitstorm with crime. The politicians should be blamed, not the police. The politicians well, are the ones- yeah, We're culprits because we work for them. Our, our whole job description, description changes on who's, who's uh, in charge of the administration. Falls under their leadership. Whenever, whenever something goes bad, what are you going to do? You're going to you're going to blame it on the cops because that's the first the, 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 that's your closest thing you'll ever come to government is the police. So we're going to take the brunt of it. But this time it, it just it just keeps going and going and going and going. You know. Yeah, go. It's yeah. It slices both ways because I know with with the city and knowing that. There was an opportunity to have the National Guard go in just dealing with the shootings before any of this stuff even happened. Right. You know, because, and then it was denied. No, we don't need the National Guard. So you're like, okay, so you've got a certain amount of police officers that need to go and take care of the, the ghetto and the, the shooters, and they know cop cars, they know the undercover cop cars. Police want to stay out of there and not want to do the enforcement because they know that they're just waiting for, you know, a pot shot to take them out any second. So, right. Now we want extra reinforcement with that. No, we don't want that. Well, guess what? Now that area is not going to be patrolled because a cop wants to go home to his family. Lisa, so you know what amazes me? What amazes me, and I see it all the time in New York City, cops still go out and get guns off the street yeah. with all of this crap happening. They're still doing their job, even with all this crap happening. You know, and then they people the government wants to arrest them for doing their job. It's it's outrageous, you know. Let's move on to motivational speaking. Cujo. Cujo needs to go now. <laughs> so Lisa's going to talk about a little bit about motivational speaking and how she uh, became a motivational speaker. <laughs> I'm not a motivational speaker. You think speaker. you can you you motivate Mark and I to do something different? You think you can motivate us to get us on a, get our show to a national platform? <laughs> you need to be more uplifting, Bill. That's the deal. <laughs> we try. Some shows are more uplifting than others. You know? No, comedy is good. More comedy, more comedy. <laughs> no. But so no, but you studied with. Oh, but the thing, the thing is, that's why I said my biggest concern is the morale of the police right now. Not wanting to do anything, just want to sit on their hands, do their eight and skate, and. You know, just look the other way when they see something going on for fear of. But that's somewhat what they're being told to do. You know, they're somewhat being told that in many different ways. You know? Right. Yeah. 
yeah, it's fund, no overtime. I, I say get God and get therapy. I mean, what else? What no, else? Let me coverage? tell you something though. In all honesty, you know, with the advent of the cell phone, the recording, there was never a, an adjustment, you know, made towards uh, the way we police and the way we apprehend people. And in the not too distant future, that's not going to be our problem because we're going to have other type of aids. We'll probably be working with some type of uh, robot or something. That, that'll be your partner. You let the robot beat the shit out of the guy, then they can't sue him. <laughs> well, the robot will just be somebody that you go, okay, arrest Sir, him. put down that gun. <laughs> you, have the thing that you, you have a thing on your arm, and you'll just be like, okay, arrest. And then you're going to point out the person that you want to arrest, and you'll play, uh, you'll, you'll press uh, stun. Yeah. And the robot will stun him and go over there and cuff him. That's what's going to happen. We're in a huge transition right now. We don't know, you know, everything looks worse than it really was on camera, you know. And if you're looking for any type of police brutality, you can find it, even if it's from somebody raising their voice. Well, why did he have to raise his voice? It's like there's no, there's no wins. You know? body, body cameras even, they do check you for using foul language. Shit, yeah. I would have been putting the, you know. <laughs> no kidding. You know, there was there's an a way to get some of what you want to do. You know? Bill, there was a uh, an experiment that one of the, the networks did. I don't remember which one it was, but uh, they actually had journalists go out there and put him in shoot, no shoot scenarios with pulling somebody over. What would you do? These right. journalists, they lit these people up. Oh, of course they, they did. them up. Like, oh, now I get it. Okay, now I get it. I think that's the kind of stuff that needs to be on TV and shown over and over so they can be embarrassed when they decide that they're going to play armchair quarterback and decide what the cops should or shouldn't have done. Getting they that get it, but they'll still be shit stirring the next night, you know? Yeah. yeah. I was, uh, listen, I was on the... I was on the Clearview Expressway last week. This is like in the middle of the riots. I see a car on the side, an RMP, a cruiser. He's got his radar and he's looking for speeders. I'm like, in the middle of all this shit, you're looking for fucking speeders. You're still like, really? Oh my God. You go back to your normal life that bad? <laughs> like, that's the, that's the hypocrisy. That's the stupidity of all of this. Right. You don't even need to make car stops anymore. You know, with the traffic light that that uh, if you blow, you get a red light ticket or if you're speeding down certain streets, you could put the stripes on the highway, figure out if somebody's speeding. How many cops lives around the country could you save? Because that's one that's one of the most confrontational situations you ever get into is the car. Yeah. stop. Now, obviously, if you see somebody and they look like they're drunk driving, you'll stop them. Right. If you, you, you know, you see one of hey, these Mark, cars, I'm going to pull you over. <laughs> you, know, you see one of these cars zigzagging, you know what I'm saying? Driving like an asshole a hundred miles an hour on the highway. You, you, you'll stop that guy. But for the most part, we don't have to do car stops anymore. We don't hey, have Mark, to go. Detective Pat said, is this the new live PD? Yes, it is. This there is you the go. <laughs> live PD show. <laughs> So, yeah. all, all, all the old audience for live PD, come on, join us here. <laughs> really, right? Yeah, definitely. We're gonna miss you, live PD. That's yeah. right. No, they'll be. I think they'll be back. They'll it's, be back. It's a new jerk, a knee jerk reaction. You get, you get. Uh, people have to sign that petition, oh, tell them that they want to watch people get locked up and beat up, and that's how they spend their time. <laughs> people are asking for Detective Pat to come back on the show. 
They liked when his button was blowing on his uniform because he gained a few pounds. Oh. <laughs> it almost became ballistic. <laughs> so where are we right now? Right now we were asking her about a new career. What she's doing, you know? Yeah, so that's what I do. I do I do commentary and then I put out uh, I put out some art, safety articles and little kind of one hit, one minute safety tips on video. And that's it. I mean, I'm, I'm a newlywed now because I divorced the Canada guy. Oh my God, how many husbands do you have? <laughs> you, got, you got your third husband? Oh, who's the new guy? <laughs> His name is Steve and I call him John Wayne because he's like the most salty, funny guy. Six foot three. Wait a minute, hold on a second. Let me, ask, let me ask you some personal question about Steve. Does he have big coin? <laughs> Dun, da, da, da. Can you see that? Where is he? Oh, oh my God, that's where you live? Yeah, that's right. You just answered the question. You're in California now? What yeah, I was Steve, in LA, but now I'm on the do? island here. What is Steve? He does do? well. He does well. He's an well what does he do? What kind of work? He's an engineer, and his uh, uh, business is in Colorado, so oil and gas. Wow, he's making big. Oil and gas. He's doing all right. I would I would show you my outside, but I live in the Bronx, and if I go out there with my laptop, someone's probably gonna feel it. That was some view she had there. Yeah, yeah, man. Listen, my life sucks. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Maybe Stop she can to give you a motivational speech from a Tony <laughs> Robbins <laughs> repertoire. Oh my god, my life sucks so much. Stop it. There's a difference between exercise, being, eat good. There's a difference between being a beautiful girl and a beautiful guy. She's a beautiful girl. Look at what she wound up with. I'm a beautiful guy. This is what I wound up with. I got laid a whole bunch. Oh, for any girl I ever want in my whole life, but I got nothing. You look out your window and you see the guardian angels practicing. She looks out and she's got a beautiful seaside villa there, right? I'm gonna tell you guys right now. It was a blind date, and we only spoke on the phone. So, hey, was, this was, was a blind a, date too. It was the conversation, okay? That was a conversation that got the date. But Lisa, this was a blind date too. Look how fun this has been. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I know, right? Now you were just on Jay Wiley's national radio show, right? Was I? Law enforcement today. Oh, uh, yes. I'm sorry. I was. Yes. See, I have to interrogate you. Thank you. I was. How yeah. was that? It was great. He's a nice guy, that guy. He's he a retired Baltimore sergeant. He's a, he's, a, he's a real good guy. I was in... Yeah. Uh, I'm going to try to get him on this show. See if... Uh, um, he's not as pretty as you, so... So, uh, let me ask you something. So, like, what is your day like now? Like, uh, what... The Pilates instructor comes up. What time does the Pilates instructor come up? <laughs> when then, you stack the $100 bills, is there a certain I've been on pandemic quarantine, doing my exercising, <laughs> writing my articles, talking to my family in Chicago. I got a new baby niece I'm going to see next week. Yeah. I got my stepson just had a baby. It's all the FaceTiming and loving up. And You know, yeah. isn't wow. that an amazing thing about like, how somebody's life can be so great and how somebody else's life could suck so much. It's an amazing thing of my life. Perfect attitude. No, no, listen, I remember working in the You still make it fun. You still make it good. Listen, you can put me anywhere. You I can remember put me working. in a freaking, you 10 by 10 freaking 
apartments and I'm still going to be happy. No, I'm happy. I'm not. I'm happy. I'm just saying it's just a weird thing. Like when I was in the police department at some point towards the very end, I was in the training unit. Yeah. I wasn't really doing uh, police work. I was just doing instructing. And uh, I remember Occupy Wall Street was going on and we were watching it on TV. And it was kind of sort of, you know, it was the, it wasn't like now, but it was for the first time that this kind of stuff was going on. It was kind of sort of shocking. Yeah. So the two guys I was with were like, hey, you want to take a ride down there? And it was like not to take a ride down there and get involved and do police work, just to check it out. And we were on the same job. There was people there that were like, uh, you know, in the shit and like getting everything that you see, you know, the co- getting abused by uh, by by the protesters. Right. And, uh, then the, I was on the same job and I was watching it on TV working. So that just goes to show you how much what a difference life can be. It's just a, such a subtle thing. Yeah, it's true. You know, people, you know what it is? So once much. day, you know, we all experience walking away from the towers on 9-11 we were the biggest heroes in the world. Right. That lasted about three weeks. Four weeks. I'm telling you. Back to, you know, you guys I brought that from- same thing up, Bill. I did. I just, because I ran New York City Marathon that following year, right after 9-11. Yeah. And man, oh man, you know. Which husband people- were you with then? NYPD actually gave me. So Lisa, I said, which husband were you with then? Was, was I, I wasn't married. There was no number yet attached to you. I was husband. in between. I was in between. <laughs> <laughs> I'm between husbands. But NYPD gave me a shirt to wear for that because I got hooked up through the charity. So I'm running proud as can be, pretending I'm NYPD. Right. You know, with the shirt on, everybody's cheering me and cheering me, and I'm just thinking, oh my God, what a beautiful, you know, it felt time. good, so, right? It was a year after, you know, 9/11, but it was just like this is amazing to have that much respect and to know, and everybody just, you know, wanted to do good, and the next thing you know, you know, one bad video comes out. Here's the thing: you interviewed, did you interview James, uh, the uh, uh, former FBI with? Gagliano. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to. I I haven't been able to get him, but I'm I'm going to. He came up. Um, one of the statistics that I loved when he was first interviewed after all of this, he's like, "Listen, cops have 250 million interactions per year on the job. Okay, out of those, a thousand shootings. Out of those thousand shootings, 30 to 40 are bad shoots. You know, bad. 30 to 40 of them that are like, hey, you know, they're questionable." Out of all those interactions and everything else, it's like, you know, look at those statistics. Like, my God, you know, bad shoots or, you know, questionable shoots. He says it's a small, small number out of, of the three. Yeah. But they yeah, the 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 medical profession, you see if they have a, as good of a uh, average as I mean, that. What right? you're doing right now is you're talking about the science of it. Yeah. The, the data. Of the it. data. The science of it, it's only convenient when we want to quote the science of it. When it was time to keep everybody at home, we were really on the science of it. And then now when everybody wants to protest and hundreds of thousands of people are being in the street, it's okay. Don't worry about the science. science right? Don't worry about it anymore. Yeah. It's such a big crock of shit. It is. It is. Somebody no. sent a meme to me and it was, hey, you can go to a family barbecue in a backyard with 10 people and protests up to a hundred. It's like, okay, well, I'm having a protest in my backyard. That's you know? right. <laughs> so it's like, what, what is this? What is, it just makes no sense. 
And it was so easy. All they had to do was say protest in place. You know? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Just protest in place. Go nuts at your, in your house. <laughs> Come out at seven o'clock. And instead of uh, giving it up for the. No, you know how many, think about this. You know how many cops would, would have been on board and be part of off duty, a peaceful protest because what they saw, they yeah. were so horrified by the evil of it. They would have been partners arm in arm out there doing the right thing and calling for change and wanting bad cops out of their job and wanting to make sure that guys that they work with that are heavy handed are out of a job. They would be part of it and we'd be yeah, using right. There was never a chance for that. There was Nothing. never a chance. They didn't want that to happen. No. That doesn't help their Well, you know, they also, the whole narrative, the whole narrative was that it was such a, a small percentage that was being violent. One night in New York City, they arrested 700 people. How was that? a small percentage of people looting and being violent. 700 people got arrested. Right. You know, that's more than a few people. Yeah, absolutely. Know? Yeah. And they had Molotov cocktails thrown at them. They had bricks thrown at them. There was video of a lieutenant getting hit in the head with a brick. If he didn't have his helmet on, he would be dead. He mm. still got a concussion. Yeah. You know? No, but it's awful. The aftermath. The media chooses to play the video of the cop pushing someone down, right. you know, not the cop getting hit in the head with a brick, you know. And, you know, they didn't police it correctly either. All the toys the NYPD has, they didn't use horses at all. Wow. No horses. They didn't yeah, use horses. get injured out there, so at some point, one did, yeah, at some point. Yeah, a he, horse in another city got hit in the face with a brick. That's what I'm saying. It's like, uh, you know what, listen, if you're a horse, man, you got like four options. You could be in the circus, you could be on a racetrack, you could be on a farm, or you could be a police horse, and nobody wants to be a police horse. Yeah. They get drafted. That with a brick? Come on, man. Don't hit the horse. Why are you hitting the horse? A horse no horse wants to be a well, do you, does a dog want to be a cop? Does a little canine? Does a dog want to be canine? Freaking dog is bad. It's not, it's not I, got, like, um, I got guests out here, you know, they want to swim and do their thing and she wants to see what they're doing. And, oh. It's not, it, listen, it's not like the horse took a police test, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm with it's you. not like he was like, <laughs> <laughs> he got screwed. And now he gets screwed again. <laughs> no, but even some of the other things they didn't use, they didn't use the helicopters. They didn't use drones. Drones could have told them where the groups were going before they got there. You know what I mean? Interesting. They didn't use any of those things because the mayor wanted a soft touch. That's what mm -hmm. he said. He wanted well, a soft touch. Got look what it got. Um, you know, it's all, if, if you think of the grand design, it's all in that thing. I, 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 that's my theory. Get people scared. Get people into thinking they need more security. Get people into hiring their own security. This way we can downsize the police department. Uh, you know, and that's the move right now in the big cities. It's to privatize. They know the people that live in the big cities can afford it. They want mm -hmm. them to pay for their own security and leave the, the police department for the people that can't afford it. Yeah. And that's what it is. And the, the, the city won't be burdened with uh, so top heavy with municipalities, the lawsuits that come along with it. Um, they don't have to worry about jails. You mentioned you could privatize those again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's we, had, we had uh, Dr. Darren Porcher on. He said something about um, the inner cities being over-policed. And I, I had disagreed with that, saying, well, that's where all the shootings and the murders happen. 
So do you want to under-police them? Because if you under-police them, even more shootings and murders. Exactly. Exactly. But that's a term that they use now, over-policing. Right. Well, if you see what happens with under-policing, and you right in Chicago, those... <laughs> You know that's on the police, yeah. That's exactly yeah. what you want. I, but to me, it's like you should be able to pick the type of policing you want. You know what I'm saying? But it always goes to who's your mayor. Exactly. They, bust, they busted know. the morale of Chicago and Baltimore so bad that the cops don't want to get involved. In and they have been for years. Yeah. For yeah. Years. So it's... That's you know, where the change has to come in. And it looks like New York is going the same way. Well, listen, we've been at this for a minute here. Um, what do you think, Bill? Final thoughts? Yeah. Do you want to release it? Do you have anything you want to plug right now while we're still on the air? Not really. Nothing's up and coming? Yeah. No, nothing's up and coming. I mean, I'm no, a no new husband you may want to uh, <laughs> shout out to. Got <laughs> a fourth yeah. husband you may be able no, to. Uh, we never I never asked you how how are they riding are they riding over there by you by the water there? Uh they had more more of the peaceful protests out this way. No riots. <laughs> I'm yeah. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> are they riding on surfboards and jet skis? <laughs> Here's what they did though. From the pandemic, they took the people off the water. It's like there's nobody around you. Look at this guy. You got this guy out here, you see him? Oh my god. Yeah, oh, look at that. Look at all right, so he's out there being peaceful. They're like, get off the water, you're gonna get the corona. Like, is, come is, on. Your, is your town still closed? It's not open yet. Right? <laughs> yeah, everything. No, the restaurants are open 50% capacity, and uh we're waiting for the nail salon. And uh wow. <laughs> yeah, a couple of yeah, the stores, the stores are coming, the malls. You don't look like you missed a haircut, so uh, I missed a haircut. No, she I, said she knows how to diet on her own. It was this it was this short when I started in March. Now it's here. Oh wow! Oh, I thought I thought you were gonna say when you started on the show tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, let's wrap it up, um, right, gentlemen. Thank, thanks for coming on. Thanks Lisa, for having me. You were a great guest. You're so funny. Thank you. Wish both. you the best of luck. You've had a remarkable career life. Uh, wish you the best of luck, uh, Bill. Lisa, thank you so much. I mean, our initial interaction was bad, but we've made a negative into a positive. It was right? funny, man. It I was... hope I didn't cut off the whole, I didn't get us on um, Facebook Live right away. I may have missed the first seven minutes, so I may have <laughs> missed that story. Just maybe I'll tell no, it. Listen, Lisa. Was that? I'll tell it quickly. I'll just say that she said something and I, I, I got triggered, like choked <laughs> my child and I said, what? Anyway, it all, everything wound up good. Here she is on our show. She was a great guest. And you know, hopefully, maybe you'll come, thing. you'll come back on the show another another time. I would love to. Thank you, guys. Uh, hopefully, when you we'll get you into New York, when you come to New York, we'll get you in studio. I like it. Yeah, I saw your in studio uh, videos. They're great. Yeah, they just did a new studio for us. Shoulder to shoulder, that works. Yeah. <laughs> all, right. all right. God bless you. Wish you all the Thank best. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mark. Off the cuffs after hours. Signing off. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye now.